0: Good morning. Now, today we're going to be looking at the first of two prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus. The second one is in chapter 3, but today we're going to be covering the prayer that's in chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. Now, before I get started, I just have to say that the way that the Apostle Paul writes sentences is mind-boggling. Often they seem kind of nonsensical to me, And until you realize that all the words are there to form a coherent thought, it's just that they're arranged in an unfamiliar order. But on first read, I often feel like the kid in this meme, (laughs) getting the side eye to the Apostle Paul, you know. And I preface what we're about to read, because this is one of those passages where the, the sentence structure is different than I have anything I have ever seen before. So when we read it, don't check out, it's going to make sense when we dissect it all, okay? So let's begin with reading our passage, which is Ephesians chapter one verses 15 through 19. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So our passage opens with the words, for this reason, which means what Paul is about to say is based on something he has already said in the previous passage. So the first thing is we have to ask is, what is that reason? And the answer is basically everything that we've already covered in chapter 1. He's already said to his readers in the previous verses that God has chosen you, God has adopted you into his family. God has redeemed you with his own blood. God has forgiven your trespasses. He's made known to you his plan for redeeming the universe and and uniting both the spirit world and the physical world under Jesus Christ. God has set aside an inheritance for you, and he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then he says, "For, for all of those reasons, all of the benefits of God that have just been mentioned, for all of those reasons... I, too, having heard of the faith which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Now, remember, the Apostle Paul has been in prison for some time, and he hasn't been able to visit the church in Ephesus for several years. But others who had been to Ephesus are reporting back to him what they've observed there. And the things they've reported have literally filled his heart with just a a spirit of thankfulness. And there's something here in these reports that Paul has received that I think we need to be aware of to understand why his heart is so full of gratitude. And it's this. He says, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and in your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. And the reason we need to take note of those words, faith and love, is that these are two of the hallmarks of true Christianity. The third is hope, which Paul mentions in verse 18 when he prays that they'll know the hope of God's calling. But faith, hope, and love are the hallmarks of those who truly believe so in the first 14 verses, Paul is telling his readers about their many blessings in Christ. And then beginning in verse 15, he's saying, I know God has blessed you with these things because you demonstrate the hallmarks of saving faith. And here we can see the harmony of scriptures because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these three characteristics are mentioned as the hallmarks of faith in the writings of several other New Testament authors. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse, verse 20, the apost- Apostle Peter writes, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, love one another from the heart. In a similar fashion, the author of Hebrews, whoever that is, also recognizes these three traits in chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. "Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through His veil, through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We could continue to look in other places in the New Testament and see this repeated over and over again. That faith, hope, and love are the three characteristics of the, that highlight true saving faith. So it's the expression of these traits by the people in Ephesus that has Paul's heart so full of thanksgiving. So full that he feels com- compelled to pray for them Continuously. Not to mention the fact that Paul had personally spent two and a half years in Ephesus teaching and preaching, and and so knowing that the work he did there is bearing fruit for the kingdom has to make him very thankful. Now in the remaining verses of our passage, we see the specifics of what Paul is praying for the church of Ephesus, and this really is some mind-blowing stuff. And if I were going to sum it up, I'd say he's really praying for two things. First, he's praying that the people there would know God. And second, he's praying that they would know the benefits of being a member of God's family. So let's look again at verse 17. Paul writes, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now the temptation here is to... Move past this portion of the passage pretty quickly because, as we've already established, this church is full of true Christians, right, who exhibit saving faith. So, don't they already know God? Well, yes and no. I mean, if you're married, just think about your relationship with your spouse. Did you know each other when you got married? I hope so. We don't have a lot of arranged marriages in this area, but I hope you did. But how does that compare to how you know your wife years down the road? It's not the same, right? Because we've had time to unlock all the mysteries of what makes our spouse tick. And now think again about what Paul is saying. He says, I pray that you will know that you will have knowledge of him, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the one who said, let there be light. And it was so. The one who formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils. The one who called to Abraham and Sarah in their old age and caused them to conceive a son who would become a mighty nation. The God who sent plagues on the land of Egypt that didn't affect their neighbors, Israel. The one who sent his one and only son to redeem lost sinners by his own blood and suffering. Can you imagine the scope of the glory that that God has to reveal to us? Paul says, I want you to really, really know that God. And he prays for two things, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now, there's some debate here about whether the word spirit should be with a capital S, like the Holy Spirit, or with a small s, and... I think it should be the lower case. Um, Paul is not asking for the believers to have the Holy Spirit. They already have the Holy Spirit. He said they've been sealed by the Holy Spirit earlier in the passage. Instead, what he's asking is that the Holy Spirit give them these two gifts, a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. And I'd like to talk about those gifts in reverse order. So let's start with Revelation. God would reveal himself to the church. Has he done that? Yeah. He's given us his word. He's revealed himself in Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father, right? God has revealed himself in Jesus. He's revealed himself in his word. Romans 1 says that he's revealed some things about himself in creation, So here, Paul is praying that God would reveal to the believers in Ephesus more and more of who God is. And he also prays for them to have a spirit of wisdom, wisdom to to live in and apply the things that God chooses to reveal. And then in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And the word heart there is a Greek word with a huge definition it's the word "cardia," K-A-R-D-I-A, which according to Strong's means the effective center of our being. It's the place that makes us tick. It's the, the center of who we are. It's wh- it is where our emotions are, but it's more than just emotions. It's where our thoughts come from. It's where we weigh moral choices and make decisions. It has a big meaning in the original language. So in this prayer, Paul is asking God to open up the center of their beings to allow them to be able to see and apply what God chooses to reveal. And all of us who are Christians have experienced this, at least to some degree, and here's how I I know that. Just a minute ago, we talked about the fact that God has revealed himself, right? He's revealed himself in his word. He's revealed himself in Jesus. He's revealed some things about himself in creation. And we live in Tipton County, Indiana. There are approximately 40 churches in Tipton County, Indiana. The vast majority of people who know here, or who live here, know that we believe that Jesus lived and died. They know that Christians believe that Jesus is risen from the grave, and they have easy access to Bibles, the living and active Word of God, and they have the same creation to look at that we have to look at. But are all the residents of Tipton County believers? Why not? I mean, you saw it, right? I saw it. It's clear as day to me that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. If we can see it, why doesn't everyone see it? It's because this is a work of God through the Holy Spirit. It's not that you and I are so much smarter than everyone else. It's that God has enlightened our hearts, the eyes of our hearts, and thank God for that. And He's not done enlightening our hearts. There is so much yet to be revealed. And I'm so thankful that he opened the eyes of our hearts to see our need for a Savior. But he is the Lord Jesus. He's the God of the Lord Jesus, the Father of glory. And he has so much more to reveal to us. And that is what Paul is praying in this passage, that God would continually be enlightening the eyes of our hearts to see more and more of who God is and to have the wisdom to walk in that revealed truth. So let's go back to our passage and get to the best part and see what some of those revelations might be. Verse 18, or 17, no, 18, yeah. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. My friends, what is the hope of God's calling? I think most of us would probably say that the hope of his calling is that one day we will get to be in eternity with Jesus. And as Pastor Craig would say, that's not wrong, it's just incomplete. The true and ultimate hope of his calling is found in this same chapter, back in verse 9, which says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. That's the big picture. That's the hope of his calling. If there, there is coming a day when Jesus will return to the earth, he will put an end to wickedness and sin and suffering and disease and wars and death, and he will establish a new kingdom here on the earth. And he himself will be with us forever. And we will follow him with gladness of heart and with thanksgiving. We will walk in righteousness. We will be healthy. We will have love for everyone. Everyone will have love for us. And most importantly, we will be in the presence of Jesus forever. He will sum up all things in himself, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it doesn't matter what you're facing in life what the world throws at us. It doesn't matter what kind of bad news we receive. We have hope that God is ultimately in control and that these light and momentary troubles will pale in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to gather with a group of people to pray over Jeff and Brenda Alexander. And as was mentioned this morning, Brenda starts chemo this week for pancreatic cancer. And she said this, I know God is going to take care of me. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I trust him regardless. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about when he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. We are secure in God's hands. But we're not done yet. Look again at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. As I was studying for today, these 13 highlighted words were, they took me the longest to pick through. They were very confusing to me. So I want to start out with the phrase, his inheritance in the saints, because this is where I spent a lot of time, was the biggest struggle for me to understand, because it's not hard for me to understand that we have inheritance in God, that in Christ we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God, and therefore there's a, a family inheritance waiting on us in his kingdom. I don't know how many times I've read this passage in my life, but what Paul says in this prayer is something I have never picked up on before, namely that God considers us to be his inheritance. So I went searching for other passages to confirm this, and I found several. I'll read you just one short one, Deuteronomy 32.9, which says, For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is the allotment. Of his inheritance. This blew my mind. Psalms 147 says of God that he can count the stars and that he gives names to all of them, which makes sense, right, because God created the stars and he put them in their places. Job 39 says, God knows when the mountain goats give birth, which makes sense because He knits babies together in their mother's wombs, right? Proverbs 8 says that God sets the boundaries on the oceans so that they would know not to cross over those boundaries, which makes sense. God spoke the oceans into existence. Daniel chapter 2 said it's God who establishes and removes kings and kingdoms. There is nothing that God cannot do There is nothing that God doesn't know or understand. There is nothing that exists that's not his because he created all of it. And yet he counts us as his inheritance. We who were dead in our trespasses and were only made alive by the the precious grace of God, we are his inheritance, his prized possession And what Paul wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened to are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The glory, which originates from God, is being attributed to his inheritance in the saints. It's being attributed to us. God is bestowing the riches of his glory on his inheritance, the saints, In other words, all the richness of God's glory is being invested in his people so that when the time comes for Jesus to return to the earth and reign, God's people will have become all that he intended for them to be. In the book of Philippians chapter one, Paul puts this same thought in different words. He says, for I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You see the significance God, who is altogether perfect, is perfecting us. Without him, we are nothing. But he chose us, and he lifted us out of the pits that we dug for ourselves, not just for salvation, but to be continually transformed by his glory until the day that he receives us as his glorious inheritance. As I say those words, I feel like the psalmist who said, such knowledge is too high for me, I can't attain to it, but this is the glorious God we serve, and he's still not done with this prayer. So Let's go back and finish the text, starting in verse 18, and I'm going to read past verse 19 because that doesn't make a lot of sense on its own, it needs context, so Mike is just going to have to deal with that next week, so (laughs) starting with verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. You know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, just in case you doubt any of the other benefits of following God that I've just discussed, I want you to know that God has the power to make all of them come to pass. And if you doubt that, all you got to do is look to Jesus, who God literally raised from the dead And gave him rule and authority and power and dominion forever. God raised Jesus from the dead. He has power over death. He gave him rule over all, over all kingdoms. He gave authority over all, Jesus authority over all, so he has power over all kings and armies. And God gave Jesus dominion over all, so he has power over even the unseen spirit world. And he gave this power to Jesus, not just in this age, but also in the age to come, the age of eternity. In other words, there there never has been and there never will be a threat to the power of Jesus to rule over the heavens and the earth. And the same power that brought Jesus back from the grave and set him on the throne is the same power that's alive in us, transforming us into who God wants us to become. He is completely trustworthy in bringing to pass everything he has said he will bring to pass because he is the ultimate power, and he is just using that power, verse 19 says, toward us who believe or for the benefit of those of us who believe. What a prayer. What a prayer. Jesus is coming back. Our hope will be realized when he sums up all things in heaven and on earth in himself, and in that kingdom, there will be complete peace. We will be free from disease and pain. We will know and love everyone and be, love and be known by everyone. And best of all, we will be with Jesus. Between now and then, he will continue to work in the hearts and minds of those believers in Jesus to, to transform us into the image of his son, Jesus, so that we can be God's glorious inheritance And nothing will thwart those plans because He has the infinite power to bring them to pass. Our future is secure. And if we truly get a hold of these truths and cling to them with all of our might, we have nothing to be afraid of. We have no reason to be anxious. It's a beautiful prayer. But there's one thing we haven't talked about here is that there's a qualifier in this prayer. These promises These benefits of God are not universal. They're applicable only to those who believe in Jesus and allow him lordship over their lives. So if you're here today and you've been listening to these words and the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart, please don't quench that. Don't ignore that. Call out to Jesus. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if we confess with our mouths Jesus as Lord, And believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I don't believe in accidents. If you're here today and you need Jesus, you're here because he loves you. He wants to be your savior. And he wants you for his glorious inheritance. And he has arranged for you to be here today. So please don't leave here today without responding to that love and grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for those gathered together here today. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of glory, may you give all gathered here today the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. I pray that the eyes of all of our hearts may be enlightened so that we will know what is the hope of your calling What are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe? May we cling tightly to these truths and may we share them with as many people as you allow so that we see many people come to know Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.